Our Old Testament reading today is from the 95th Psalm. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and the dry land which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger I swore, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And today, the gospel reading is from the fifth chapter of Matthew. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's uh, pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these uh, familiar words of the psalmist this morning in our worship time, that you would meet us, Father, Son, and Spirit. Open our hearts to you that we may hear the things that you have to say to us, that we would be persons that respond, a community that responds in faith rather than unbelief. So meet us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this summer, we're leaning into the words of the Psalms as we think about how we enter conversation with God, right, amidst all of the struggles that are going on, the pandemic, the lockdown, the uncertainty of a future. Uh, greater awareness of social injustices as they exist in our culture, in our world, in our city, uh, political divisions, uh, and all of the many private ways in which you and I experience that we live in a broken world, that life is not as it ought to be. Psalm 95, in the midst of those experiences, as complex as they may be, invites us to a place of worship, and it shapes the way we think about our worship. Uh, this morning even. So as we think about it, let me just mention four things. We're called to sing, to kneel, to listen, and into rest. So first, singing. Oh, come let us sing, verses one to five, invite us to come enthusiastically into God's presence singing. Now I realize that may feel uh, incongruent this morning for many of us. It may feel uh, um, like a, a note of sadness because we're not together. We're not singing in God's presence together. Um, what does this psalm have to teach us in a moment like this even? The point, I think, of the psalm 
is that when we gather into God's presence or when we wake up into God's presence, that we're called to do so enthusiastically, hearts lifted in song. So let me illustrate it this way. So the Bartholomews have a new dog. I should say actually Emmeline, my youngest daughter, has a new dog, but we purchased a dog just prior to the lockdown. She's lovely, she's wonderful in every way, except I'm her distant third favorite. Uh, We have come to think of Lila as Emmeline's dog because of the way Lila has bonded with Emmeline. It's quite interesting. In the days before the lockdown, Emmeline would leave for work and Lila would follow her to our front porch, that glassed-in room that we sometimes sit in, and she would watch Emmeline walk out the door and watch her down the sidewalk whining, moaning. And then at the end of the day, as she saw Emmeline come back, she would uh, enthusiastically leap into a dance. Now, during the days of lockdown, what this looked like is Emmeline might go upstairs to her room for a brief moment, and Lila would be downstairs with us. And the moment Emmeline descended the stairs, Lila erupts in this sort of excitement around Emmeline. And she doesn't do that with Stacy, and she doesn't do that with me, and she didn't do that with Connor when Connor uh, was living with us during the, uh, the early part of the lockdown. She delighted in Emmeline's presence. Just prior, right, uh, as we think about this, this psalm, I want us to sort of pull that image of a dancing puppy, if you will, in the presence of God. Here, the psalmist invites us to wake up to God's presence in a way that our hearts are lifted. We're buoyed in the midst of this life. Our hearts begin to sing because we are awake to God's presence. Maybe it would help you to think about the image of some space of relationship that you're in. If you're a mom or your dad and you're, you go up, you show to the preschool at the very end of the day and you're there to retrieve, pick up your child, there's an excitement quite often. If you think about being in a space of friendship with someone that you love dearly but you haven't seen in a while and you're in one another's presence, what happens to you? you? You light up in the presence of the other. Before you've said a word, your heart is buoyed. So what would it be like if we experienced God that way? If in the moment that we wake up to his nearness, our hearts are just buoyed. The poet and priest George Herbert, in his uh, somewhat well-known poem, Easter, the opening lines call us to something like this. Listen to these opening lines. Rise, heart. Thy Lord is risen, sing his praise without delays, who takes thee by the hand that thou likewise with him mayest rise. Amidst the full array of ordinary human experiences, joys, sorrows, sickness, health, poverty, riches, Psalm 95 invites us to be buoyed in the very presence of God because you discern his greatness. God, the ultimate gardener, hands in the dirt, the heights of the mountain, the sea, which is always a source of chaos or a description or a metaphor of chaos in our world, even that, even there, God is great. The goodness and the greatness of God with us buoys the heart and awakens the heart to song. Now, second, kneel. 
come, bow down and kneel before him in worship. Verses six to seven, we're called upon very simply to humble ourselves in the presence of God, right? It's a posture here of honoring God, of revering God, the one who made us. But far more than simply making us or creating us, the psalmist calls to mind that God shepherds us. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So in kneeling, we begin to honor the goodness of God's greatness. We remember that he relates to us the way a shepherd relates to his or her flock. God's greatness, in other words, is always leveraged for your good, even when you're not aware of his presence or its good. Back to the dog Lila for just a moment. From the start, she always approached me tentatively. Now, I would say Lila's indifferent to me, and Stacy would always remind me, hey, Tuck, dogs can't be indifferent, right? But she approached me sheepishly, sort of timidly. She would tuck her tail between her legs and sort of back away from me anytime I would draw near her. And as my COVID beard grew longer, it seemed like this severe response from Lila just increased all the more, which led us to begin to put pieces of the puzzle of her own little dog life together, that maybe, just maybe, her experience of men and bearded men was not always welcomed. So I was determined to win her over. So what did I do? I got down on my knees. I got low before her. I scratched her belly. I scratched behind her ears. I always had a treat that I would try to give her. I worked really, really hard for my third position in the family. So what would it be like for you as you hold the words of this psalm to begin to realize that God stoops to you as a shepherd stoops to his sheep. He loves you. He moves his life toward you. He leverages his good for you. What would it look like so instead of responding to God hesitantly, you're buoyed, you kneel, you recognize that he is a shepherd. Scripture describes a very long history of humanity's struggle with the goodness of God. We wonder if he comes in peace. You think of that famous space, the story of the garden. At the moment of sin and fallenness, God cries out, Adam, where are you? And Adam is hiding behind a tree. Why? Because he says, I was naked and ashamed. And then God says, well, who told you you were naked and ashamed? And he says, well, that woman. And so the history of human relationships is so broken and wounded and we hide from God, and not just God, but from one another. What would it look like for us to begin to realize that God just keeps showing up in goodness and truth? Maybe we'd find courage to interact with one another differently in all those personal spaces of broken relationships, but even as we turn our gaze to some of the larger social landscape in which brokenness looms large in things like racism and white supremacy, everyone is triggered by the presence of God. Everyone is triggered by the presence of God. We are scared sometimes of Him. We become angry with Him. We're suspicious of Him. We're cynical about His goodness. We're indifferent. We're independent. We're avoidant. We withdraw. We ignore it. And on and on, this pattern with God extends over into our pattern with one another.
kneeling, honoring before God only happens when we wake up to his tender care, when we wake up to the fact that he is a shepherd of the sheep of our very lives. Sing, kneel. Now third, listen. The end of verse 7 calls us, calls the hearer, the reader, the one who would worship, to be someone, to be a community that listens to his voice. Oh, that you would listen to his voice. You see, it isn't enough to simply be buoyed by the greatness of God's presence, and it isn't enough even to kneel acknowledging his shepherding. We're called to go further to actually listen to the God who speaks. Listen to his voice. Listen to the voice of your good shepherd. Through a pandemic, in the context of economic fallout, in the context of our own personal stories and the losses that we experience, we're called in the midst of ordinary life to be persons that listen for the voice of God. The psalmist drives the importance of listening home by a very negative example out of Israel's past. Verses 8 and following, don't harden your hearts as at Mirabah or on the day of Massa in the wilderness. After being released from slavery in Egypt, Israel wandered in desert wilderness circumstances, and they weren't very pleasant always, and they become per- became persons in a community that grumbled against God and tested God and grumbled against leaders and so on and so forth. They refused, in other words, God great, God's greatness as a shepherd for them by not listening. They didn't align themselves with the truth of their own experience of God's deliverance, the truth of his shepherding. And so the pattern of their everyday lives, right, didn't fit the truth of their own experience of God in the wilderness. No experience of rest would come to them because of this. They wouldn't inherit the land and find a place they could call home uh, because they couldn't rest with God's own self as he shepherded them in the wilderness space. And this is where the psalm ends, and it feels profoundly unsatisfying in a sense, this memory, this monument, if you will, to Israel's complicated past, a past that feels so severe and filled and loaded with loss, and that Israel would have to recall in the annual Feast of Tabernacles. They could never consider that feast day as an idyllic moment, that moment of the past as ideal in some way. They couldn't approach their past interactions with God with nostalgia, but simply by faith had to remember that God kept speaking even when they didn't listen. It was a memory, but it was not God's last word over his people, over humanity in general, but a feast that invited them and invites us even now to rise enthusiastically into God's greatness, to kneel before God who shepherds and cares for us, and to listen for his voice, to soften to his words to us, and find rest for our souls, ultimately a greater rest than the land itself would afford. In Hebrews chapters 3 to 4, The author begins to pull the threads of Psalm 95 through the life of Jesus, who is one described as greater than Moses, into the life of the church of his day, so that they would be a community that didn't stop with their simple understanding of all that God had spoken in Jesus more ultimately, but that they would be a community that would keep going in next steps with Jesus that they would remember that they've gathered to a great high priest who is profoundly sympathetic to our weaknesses, 
our own complicated past with God and with one another. Because of him, because of Jesus' empathy, his sympathy, the, song, uh, the author of Hebrews rather writes, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So as we finish this morning thinking about the meaning of this psalm for our community, let me just ask you a couple of questions. What would it be like to listen to God's word over your life and the person of Jesus and to find that it changes you so that as you enter and live with places of loss, personal loss or profound disappointments, places of relational disruption in your life as a spouse or as a child or as a parent or as a, as a brother or sister, uh, as you're wrestling with some other space, maybe with a neighbor or a colleague in the workplace, what would it look like to listen to God's word over your life in Jesus and rise and kneel and keep listening and enter rest? And how would it look like if we listen to his word over our lives as we think about the multifaceted problems that are in our world, the social problems, the spaces that sometimes are much harder for us to think about because they're collective and institutionalized over generations and not something any one of us had direct responsibility for? What would it look like to humble ourselves and listen as we think about problems of world poverty? as we think about hunger and homelessness and racism, what would it look like for us in these spaces to remember that God is our shepherd? Roland Williams, in a book that many of us are reading and thinking about together, it's a book called Where God Happens. It's a look at the desert fathers and mothers, the teachings of, of them really, and the implications for the way we live life today. In this little book that we're discussing as a church, as churches really, he writes this. He says, the church is a community that exists because something has happened that makes the process of self-justification irrelevant. God's truth and mercy have appeared in Jesus and in his death and resurrection have worked the transformation that only God can perform, told us what only God can tell us, that he has dealt already with the dread consequences of our failure so that we need not labor anxiously to save ourselves and put ourselves right with God. Rise, heart, for thy Lord is risen and he would take our hands that we might rise with him into a very different way of living with God and living with one another amidst all of the ordinary experiences of this human life. May God give us grace to hear the things that he's saying to the church and to listen and to embrace. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think upon the teaching of this psalm and we think about how we might apply it to our own hearts personally, but also collectively as a community, and even as we think about our life in the world, would you meet us and would you remind us that your word ultimately over us is not a word of condemnation, but a word of life and forgiveness, a word of resurrection. Help us to know how we might inhabit these words, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.